Hello and welcome to this episode of Journey to a Dream. Normally, in the introduction, I try and encapsulate something about the guests, tell you a little bit about them before they introduce themselves further. I honestly don't know what to say about today's guest. And we did jokingly say after we'd finished the recording, if you want something doing, ask a busy person. I'm Linda Alton-Heath and I am part of the Andrews Racing Association here on the Isle of Man and I'm now the chairman of the club, which I was voted in a couple of weeks ago. Well, Linda, we'll talk much more about the association a little bit later, but it's fair to say you have a background that is steeped in motorcycling. Tell us how it all started. I think probably um, six weeks old when my parents took me to my first motocross um, in, in Dublin. So I was, I was born in Dublin, I'm Irish, and back in the... I won't say when it was, quite a while ago. Yeah, my dad was the uh, president of the Motorcycle Union of Ireland, which is the kind of the Irish version of the ACU, which we work under here. And he was a member of the FIM jury. So he travelled around Europe to motocross and road racing. And when I was a child, and we obviously went with him. And he worked quite closely with the uh, the team at Mondello as well in, in Ireland. So yeah, that's my, my childhood. And what do you remember about that time travelling around? Oh, gosh, I... Probably my most earliest memory was in the back of a car doing rider recovery at a road race in Ireland called Four, and where we, we had to go pick up the, a sidecar and push the sidecar back with the front of the car. And I'm like sitting in the car with my dad, like no health and safety, like fine for the kids to be in the car. <laughs> but yeah, four road races and, and Joey Dunlop being in my grandma's kitchen, um, having his leathers duct taped back together because um, he had scrutineering the next day at Mondello. And um, my dad's trying to make sure that he, he could get through scrutineering. My dad introduced us to an amazing world of bike racing and I'm, I'm very proud of what I've done and I wish he was here to see it so I know he'd be very proud of me. And your mum had racing in her family as well? Yeah, so my mum had five brothers. Four of them either raced or had bikes as well. And um, my cousin races uh, super bikes in Australia now as well. Um, he's out there. So, yeah, mum's uh, family are into bikes as well. My mum didn't like it quite as much. Um, she she kind of wasn't the uh, the typical pushy motocross mum like I became over the years. But no, mum kind of stayed in the background a little bit. But yeah, we were really involved, myself and my brother. And at what point did you decide that maybe you wanted to try it yourself? Uh, well, when I was six, um, my my Christmas present uh, was um, a Malaguti 50. And I remember um, my crash helmet was too big and my grandma had to crochet me um, a little skull cap. It's so embarrassing when I look at the pictures now. You and have it, to share that one with I <laughs> so this crash helmet with this little crocheted skull cap underneath. But yeah, that I remember I remember racing at a track called Mosney just outside uh, Dublin. And uh, on my Malaguti and then I had a YZ80 um, I had a Suzuki uh, yeah went up to hundreds I think and then then I stopped after that we, we moved to the Alman in 1986 um, but yeah for all of those sort of childhood years in Ireland it was it was all road racing and motocross my dad was a timekeeper and lap scorer as well so he most Sundays Saturdays and Sundays we, we were at a motocross event and you mentioned your brother as well so he was into it too yeah so my brother did trials um, He, I'll talk a little bit about um, what, what I did later in life with him as well so we got into sidecars. My brother was my driver. Uh, so it was uh, at my grand's, at my dad's garage. Um, my, gran, um, my grand's house was next to it. And we were just in the fields all the time, every day after school. So presumably, obviously, you were bought that present at the age of six. So your parents quite encouraging you said your mum maybe not as pushy did she have some reservations do you think no no she was always keen on us doing what we wanted to do and bikes were kind of what our family did but um no it was it, it didn't matter to my mum she knew I was going to be in the fields on the bikes anyway so and then as you you got older sort of through teenage years it was still something you wanted to do oh gosh moved to the Alman 1986 
like the Isle of Man back then, it was the Lido, it was the Hawaiian bar, it was just the best thing my parents could have possibly done for me and my brother. We moved from the middle of nowhere in Ireland, I literally lived in a field, um, to um, Harris Prom. We had a hotel, uh, so it was it was amazing. And uh, yeah, years of, of just being around the TT again. And, and we'd always come over, um, a lot of my family live in Peel. Um, my mum's brother moved there, um, two brothers moved there, um, and a lot of my cousins are in Peel as well. So kind of a bit of a Peelian at heart. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, moving here in 86 time and yeah, Isle of Man was just absolutely like bouncing. I guess for somebody like you, this was the mecca of motorcycling. Oh, yeah. I don't think we had, my mum had a choice really coming here. Like my dad, they decided they were selling their business in Ireland. And mum was like, oh, I think I want a pub. And we were going to move to Peel. And then it was now we'll get a hotel. And it was always going to be the Isle of Man. It couldn't have been anywhere else. So how did you progress with your racing then? So for quite a few years then, teenage years and going out, didn't really do too much. It's 92-ish. My brother and I started doing sidecar trials. He'd been doing uh, solo trials for many years and he had a bit of um, problems with a carpal tunnel with arm pump and someone said to him oh try a sidecar it might not be so bad on, on your arms so he said to me oh, do you want to do sidecars I was like yeah great sidecars within our history in Ireland as well um, so we, we got a beta we had a, a Rushton chair put on it and that was the era of like Bruce Rushton Robin Luscombe era for trials like it was it was tough going then we rode a couple of years in the Isle of Man um, Adrian Beale as well like the competition here was, was really good I've done two day trial three or four times um, we did British Championship uh, for three years, then got sponsored by Aprilia. So I was uh, this little petite, I used to be petite, blonde thing, um, front cover of Motorcycle News and, and Trials of Motocross News. And it was always Alton Towers, like the, it, it couldn't have been anything else. Got sponsored by Aprilia by Malcolm Rathmull. Um, and it was a van and clothes and a bike. And it was like, oh my gosh. And it was just, yeah, the best few years riding for them. I remember being at the um, British Experts trial down south of England somewhere. And we, we were in a section. It was okay it wasn't too bad but I remember like just corner of my eye I caught somebody on a solar bike stop and watch us and we finished the section I kind of turned to see who it was and it's Steve Saunders and I was like oh my god Steve Saunders has just stopped and watched me do a section it's yeah you've got heroes kind of in your past life and then they come into into your like everyday life yeah that was a memory. Linda we're seeing many more women coming through the motorcycling world now there's still not as many as men and I wonder from your point of view what that experience was like were you aware of of being a woman in what might have been perceived as a man's world yeah especially as like at the time being front cover motorcycle news um great i shouldn't have been front cover because we didn't win that day somebody else did but because i was a girl and it was a little bit different there was a jill morewood was was riding as well and uh we did get a little bit more press and at the time it was great and um, and we enjoyed it but yeah there was there was probably better riders out there but we did get the attention and even now there's there's some really amazing women in motorsport when you look at the role models that are out there and not just the riders like when people like fei ho come and put money in and can still be classy and just be the person that she wants to be and she's got her team she's got peter yeah it's nice to see that now but when even closer to home like in the Isle of Man we have a, a chief marshal at Cherby Joe Warriner Joe's come through the Isle of Man she's a Manxie she's out there with the boys and she knows what she's doing that girl like she came to our AGM a couple of weeks ago and the boys were querying something about triumphs and British superbikes and Joe's on it so yeah it's, it's it's great to see so you went through that stage then you were on that front cover which must have been a, a very proud moment have you still got that front cover yeah my dad had my dad 
kept scrapbooks of everything. Oh my gosh, from literally from Malaguti days right up until uh, my, my brother was doing the Mice Grand Prix. Yeah, he had he had everything. So we did a bit of cycle on motocross as well. Gosh, we had a, a 500 EML motocross outfit. There used to be um, quite a lot of grass track racing on the Isle of Man. So we, we got involved in that as well. And I remember my, probably not my worst crash, but the one I remember the most was I had a tyre mark bruise right up my thigh and it was compliments of uh, Robbie Black. We crashed at uh, Johnny Watson's Lane we were racing. I remember coming home and it was like, I've never been that black and blue in, in my life. But that was, yeah, sidecar grass track racing as well. You mentioned that wasn't your worst crash. I don't want to bring back bad memories, but what was the worst one? I've got four crowns on my teeth. So we were doing a bit of a, just a little rock step. It wasn't too much really. And it was at the uh, Yorkshire two-day trial. Just as we tried to get drive to, to get a little kicker at the bottom of the step to, to, for the back wheel. Just as we were trying to get that, we lost drive going into it. But the bike and my brother stopped, but I kept going. I face planted some rocks. I'd had problems with my teeth from motocross years ago. But yeah, I properly took my teeth out in that one. Oh my gosh, Linda, I'm just, I'm literally wincing. And I think that's what some people who haven't grown up with this passion find it really difficult to understand hurt yourself once okay do it twice three four times multiple times why do you keep going back probably a bit like they say with childbirth you forget the pain <laughs> you just got to get back on the bike and you've got a championship that you're competing in and you've got some sponsors or like I had my brother as was my driver so it's like right get get your mouth sorted out get get your teeth fixed we've got another rounder on the boat like in two weeks time to go back again the boys are the same now they just do it uh, Marcus Simpson recently he, he came off at Cookstown and he had it was only like he said his slowest crash 20 miles an hour but he damaged his spleen and like Marcus's sole focus was how would how could he get to the start line at the TT it, it wasn't like I need to be better it was how can I be better enough to go racing and obviously ACU and the doctors step in and and, and they they didn't let him race at the TT he went to the Max Grand Prix which, which was fabulous but yeah you just do it you just got to be back out on the bike I think when you see somebody physically being lifted onto a bike because they've had broken ankles in in recent weeks you get a sense of just what drive there is you can't explain it it's something inside you with bikes that it's everything that you do when my ex-husband was racing we've not paid our mortgage because he needed a quick shifter or you come out of tt and you've got a five grand tire bill and you're like right what's not getting paid so we can keep pirelli or dunlop happy so we can then get tires for for british superbikes yeah you kind of just do it so you and your brother were racing together what happened next where did you want to take that yeah so we were doing psycho trials psycho motocross and then there was another couple on the isle of man carl and mandy ellison and carl was dave molyneux road race passenger and Carl and Mandy started doing sidecar trials we got really friendly with them we did some holidays we kind of went with Steve Colley around Europe to some some trials and things and um my brother and I decided we were going to do a bit of road racing. So we went up to Derby um, and Malcolm and Paul Farragher brought their bike um, up and we had a little go in it. And I was still a bit injured from a, I'd hurt my knee, different crash. I think it was British expert. Or, yeah, we, I'd hurt my knee. So I was still a little bit sore and it didn't, we liked it. We weren't good. We were okay. And I, I was like, I'm not sure, not sure about this. So road racing wasn't our thing. Like we had a go, just wasn't for us. And then my brother decided he was going to go solo road racing. So that was his plan then so I took a bit of a step back from actually competing and helped him with his racing career how did you feel about him making that decision to go without me Sidecar road racing, I loved it, but I knew we weren't going to be who we were in sidecar trials. And probably at that time, I was getting married, and it was 
yeah, it was kind of the right time to have a little bit of a break. He, he went solo road racing. I helped him run the team. My dad, we bought a van and we, we traveled together. So that's how I met my ex-husband, Chris Heath. Um, I met him at Pembrey when my brother was racing there. That was 96-ish, 97, yeah. Married 98, had our daughter in 99. So the timing was good to have a little bit of a break. We haven't mentioned your brother's name, actually. Rob Alton. He's actually a mechanic for uh, the Prez racing team. He was Paul Jordan's mechanic and when Paul was having his victory at the TT. And in terms of what it was like for you, seeing it from the other side, I guess, supporting him, what do you remember about that? I remember Steve Plater winning Shell Green Jacket. I remember standing on the grid at Mallory with him. It was it was great to support him and because it was my brother as well. I think you see it with the Crows. There's just something when you compete with your brother or when you're in a team with them that you, there's unspoken things that just happen. You just know your driver or you know your, your, your rider so well that it, it just works. So you met your ex-husband do you think there was ever any question that you were going to marry a racer (laughs) definitely not a racer chaser but I think when you're in that world they're the only people you know and like could I go out for a drink with someone who like talked about football like what would you talk what would would we talk about like if I tried to explain to him like how you do a pit stop at the TT and they're like yeah that's really interesting let's go and watch however many men it is run around after a ball like I couldn't do it early days of marriage you have your daughter I mean how involved were you at that time when you had so much else going on yes that's when I became very involved in the organization of a team so Chris rode we had our own team but he did end up riding for Sean Muir SMR who's now the BMW uh, World Superbike team and he rode for Paul Bird on the Vimto bikes we had a little bit of help with Honda and that's when I first met Neil Tuxworth um, on the Honda side of things which I kind of fell into again later and then 2009 Chris got the opportunity to ride in the first electric race at the TT so we got heavily involved with an American team at that point and we went away testing and and there was lots going on and he actually won that first electric race a little bit of controversy at the at the podium he was actually denied the win it actually came flashed up on a screen that he'd been disqualified from the race um, just as they were going to the podium. It all got resolved in the end, but he never actually got his podium. So we had a little a little fake podium a couple of days later up at the grandstand. But yeah, he got the win, um, which opened up a whole world of post-TT winners invitations. And we went to Goodwood and it was, yeah, Festival of Speed was, was amazing. He'd done British Superbikes as well. So he'd, he'd done well there. So running team a team with him, I saw the other side of it. I could do the part of the mechanical side of it. I was managing everything apart from the handlebars really. And how did you find not being physically on a machine? So we still had motocross bikes although I wasn't competing. My daughter at this point Sophie she was doing motocross. We had a, a practice track uh, John Quilish who's our, our president at ARA he's got a farm up at Bolgan and uh, we had a little motocross track up there so we were always out on the bike so it was either Chris racing or, or Sophie starting to compete then as well. And you mentioned earlier that your mum wasn't pushy does that mean you were a little bit? Oh, absolutely! I was motocross mom. I was there on the sidelines. I didn't know shaking. this was a thing. Oh. Yeah, motocross moms. Oh, we're a fabulous breed. It's like it, oh, the win always counts. But there was um, Sophie was racing, and there was Tanya Denter and uh, Keely Shannon were the, uh, the kind of the girls doing it. And us little group of moms. It was yeah, it was it's Lynn and uh, was there as well on, on the sideline when Keely and Sophie were racing. And we started going away to the UK. The girls did some racing in the, the girls' national championship. So I think there's not many forms of motorsport but where there was a separate girls event and in the UK they had the girls nationals and, and Tanya was um, yeah really really good um, we missed Tanya a lot and Keely and Sophie were off racing as well and Sophie had a bit of a, a bad crash when she was 12 at Finningley she'd hurt her arm her leg she was 
bashed up she was bruised she was she was a couple of weeks off school for that one and that was Sophie's point of thinking yeah mum I'm kind of I, I think I might just give it a little break like 12 year old girl she was on 85s and big wheel 85s and she was racing with like Ryan and Jamie Kringle uh, Jed Etchell's like look at Jed now he's out there winning world events and it, it was tough for her Unfortunately, she was sitting in the lounge in our house. We lived in Baldrine and across the field was a horse. And she saw this horse and she's like, Mom, I think I want to try horse riding. I don't do horses. They have no handlebars and no engine. You can't just turn them off. So we went and we had a look at this horse and uh, I kind of, I thought, okay, we'll, we'll get her into horse riding. I wanted a CB500 and we accidentally bought a super bike. So we Whoops. bought this horse <laughs> called Garfield, who we still have now. And yeah, I'd bought a super bike without even knowing what that meant for a horse. Next thing I had, I had to do my HGV and I, I had a horse box and we were competing. And, and this child of mine who seemed to be really good at motocross was suddenly really good at, at horse riding as well. And it's a fabulous world for her. She absolutely loved it. And I do think that her motocross years helped her with, with the horse riding. It's that determination and, and that kind of can-do attitude as well. So yeah, we ended up horse riding for a few years. You became horse mum. I was much better at being a motocross mum than a horse mum. I would shout Sophie to go faster at motocross I'll be up at Ballagarrigan and I'll be there giving it loads I go to like a jump off at Conrennie and I don't breathe while she's doing the jump off because I, I just don't understand the horse or the, the world that it is yeah motocross was much safer for me I was much happier when she was doing motocross so you've got all that going on but presumably you've still got one foot in the motorcycle world as well yeah yeah kind of it was a strange one I came to a point in my life where I was getting divorced and Sophie had stopped motocross Chris wasn't racing and I our divorce was happening and then I found myself questioning who I was as as a woman in motorsport and it's it's a tough one it happens a lot of the, the wives in, in the paddock and that you're very involved and you're running a team with your husband or you're helping you know what you're doing and then you become like the spare female was I still welcome in the paddock now I was somebody's ex would I be a racer chaser I didn't want to be would I be perceived as that and it was could I validate my presence or would I kind of get a little bit of imposter syndrome and it's do, should I be here but then I came through that amazingly. Three people got me back into the world that I'm in now. And that was Sandrina Teeth from the Craig Bar, most famous pub in, in racing. Kev Kringle, Ryan and Jamie's dad. Kev was a great support to me. And also Klaus Klaffenbach, Claffy, three times TT winner, Claffy Honda. So Claffy, Claffy had been there and done it with race teams. Those three people each in their own way kind of got me back into it. And it was Kev in, I think it was 2016 is when I really got back into racing. And he was running KPC racing team. And Cy Fulton, who who'd won the Mice Grand Prix um, a number of years ago. We had Cy riding the bike. Um, Cy went and rode 600s at TT and I was kind of helping Kev set everything up, helping Cy with managing children, life, bikes, sponsors, all of that. He did the 700 as well that year. And then uh, Sandrina had me helping out of the Craig at TT. Klaus was part of the Honda team. So Klaus ran all of the um, hospitality side of it for Honda Motors Europe and for BSB for Honda UK and Honda Roads. I ended up working with the team manager of Honda, Johnny 12 Trees at uh, World Endurance. So off I went, little old me, with all my Honda kit on and my little suitcase and off to Le Mans to manage everything for Klaus and with regard to the uh, the non-racing side of the Honda team and all the hospitality, the sponsors. That led to me working with Honda France, um, with Fujisan, um, who's based at Suzuka. He runs the TSR Honda France team. And my riders were like, I, I was working with Freddie Foray. That year for TT, we had John McGuinness and Guy Martin, Sebastian Jimbert. So yeah, some really, really good riders in our team that year with World Endurance and the Rhodes team as well. I think it's 
2017 at Le Mans, I had a week where the person I had to look after was a Freddie Spencer. So it's like, again, it's a bit like Steve Saunders' moment. It was like, someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, like, you're not meant to be with walking around with Freddie Spencer. Like, he's famous. Who are you? I remember being in the awning at Le Mans. It's crazy. I don't know if you've ever been. It's like 200,000 people. Just the noise, the passion for the French have for racing. It's, it's, it's insatiable. And this guy comes into the awning and he wanted to speak to Greg LeBlanc. And I was like, no, no, sorry. I was banter. Can't come in. And then uh, Freddie Foray comes up and he goes, Linda, Linda, that's Jean-Michel Bale. I was like, oh my God, I've just tried to kick Jean-Michel Bale out of the awning. And all, all of that Honda life was, yeah, really down to, to Klaus. So I've done maybe five years with Klaus looking after the Honda team, British Superbikes and the world side of things. COVID stopped the world team and then roads as well. So yeah, we look after them at TT. It's so amazing that you got that validation at the time you did, Linda, because as I'm starting to really find in this world of motor racing, people aren't very good at pushing themselves forward. I'm even sitting here now talking about myself I I made some notes before I came out and when I started looking at like where I've been and the people I've I've been with in life I'm so lucky and I think yeah as a female it it can be trickier it's probably getting easier as I said at the beginning I'm now chairman of Andrea's Racing Um, we have had Lizzie Kimvig Clark of the Course of the TT again an amazing lady in motorsport and it's people like Lizzie and Joe our race secretaries at Andrea's um, we've got Liz and Val again women in motorsport Liz now helps out with the TT as well in, in the the office and it's it's pushing ourselves forward and like I mentioned imposter syndrome I probably have it every day when I'm in the paddock and I'm telling somebody like Matt Stevenson was racing with us at the endurance last year and I'm like that's Matt Stevenson and I'm telling him he's got to go on the stop box and do a penalty and I'm like who am I to tell him that that imposter syndrome I think sums it up because anybody just talking to you for a minute can see just how skilled you are and how much you bring to this world and it sounds like for you you need that external validation you wouldn't be pushing yourself forward you got that in 2021 though gosh yeah somebody I still don't know who nominated me for Isle of Man Sports Administrator of the Year so at the Isle of Man Sports Awards I won Isle of Man Sports Administrator of the Year and I was in total shock because as you say that validation it, it doesn't come very often and when it came from from someone like Isle of Man Sport and, and winning that yeah really really proud of that one I've got the award in my office at home and just having that sense of how much you mean to the industry and to the people in it and that was part of standing up on that stage it was my thoughts were, oh my gosh somebody nominated me and people have voted for me and they think I'm better than than the people who are organizing uh, all the other sports on the island and it was yeah it was it was really really nice to receive it I just want to talk about something that happened just after COVID, uh, which, as you say, just brought everything in the world to a standstill. What happened just after that? Where did you end up? I ended up in the bizarrest place and it came out of nowhere really so I've been very good friends with Harry Payne people who know sidecars will, will know Harry is one of the most committed and dedicated sidecar drivers and passenger he passengered for Dave Molyneux as well at the TT came out of Covid and I hadn't, we hadn't been anywhere for like a year had we a longer next thing I find myself on a flight to Gatwick on a train to Lydon and got picked up by Mark Wilkes's mum Harry's passenger and um, he rode at Lord of Lydon um, we then jumped in Mark's car and got on a ferry to uh, to Dunkirk, drove through the night and went to Frankfurt. 
where Harry had been offered a, a wildcard ride um, at the World Championship in Estoril. So Harry and I picked up a bike from Steinhausen Racing. So Rolf Steinhausen, old school TT history world champion, amazing family. And Mike, his son, had offered Harry um, a bike to go and do the world round. So Harry and I drove to Frankfurt, picked the bike up and then spent three days uh, driving this left-hand drive sprinter back through Germany, Belgium, uh, through France. We stayed overnight. Well, we didn't actually sleep overnight. We stayed about four hours in uh, Bordeaux in Paul Liglise's house. Uh, Paul's one of the French riders who comes to the TT. A few hours sleep at Paul's. Down through Spain um, into Portugal. We uh, we really needed some sleep and we'd booked into a hotel halfway through Portugal, but we didn't realise that the time difference between Spain and Portugal changed. So we thought we had one hour to get to this hotel and we could just about keep our eyes open. We were living off Jelly Belly sweets and all sorts of things to try and keep driving. And um, yeah, a few hours sleep in there and Portugal, Estoril, and he went and won. Um, he hadn't ridden this bike before and Harry won the uh, the world round at, at Estoril. We sat down after that, we had dinner. Harry was a bit of vegan for that weekend. It was a really difficult weekend. I don't know why he decided he needed to be a vegan that weekend. Sat down in a, a meat barbecue restaurant <laughs> where he had a salad after his win and um, we decided we were going to set a team up and Harry was going to do the world championship the following year. I went out, tried to find sponsors. Um, I found a sponsor and Harry brought a lot to the team as well. He'd had a number of years racing he bought a f1 bike from rob big so a long bike that's what you need for world championship they're all 600 engines but long bikes and short bikes and the sponsor bought the f2 bike from john lowther um scunthorpe we went and picked that up so we went away in harry's little Ducato van and came back with about 120,000 pounds worth of sidecars um one of which didn't fit in the van so we were sat at Haysham docks with harry in the sidecar so he had to ride it onto the ferry which we got lots of looks it was still covid time and we had to come out into the steam packet car park and drive around a little loop so i'm in the van and harry's in front in the sidecar at six o'clock in the morning so yeah good memories so set up the team um harry did the TT for that team the next year in a couple of world rounds. Um, bad crash at Le Mans ended up us driving up to Switzerland to have the bike fixed um, in about two days and then back across to Assen. Did the world round at Assen. Did the TT. Uh, the team um, kind of imploded. I stepped away from the team. Harry's gone on now again with Steinhausen Racing so he's doing uh, the world championship with Steinhausen and he has Kevin Russo as his passenger so they're doing they're doing really really well. Proud of him. All of this I mean was this the day job Linda? No. No, no, God, I have a day job. So <laughs> I managed to fit this all in um, around around life, um, yeah, a, a career and a child as well. So, um, and no no payment for any of this. Even when I was running the Dow 1886 team, there was n- no payment came to me as the team manager. Um, we put all of the money actually into the team. Some people will find that hard to understand. Yeah, very much. It's the same with Andrew's Racing. Um, Neil and I and all of the guys on the committee, there's no payment for anything that we do. Our, our payment really is um, when we look at the guys that are, are racing, especially like Max Grand Prix this year, like for Andrew's Racing. And also last year, gosh, last year, I know you said you had Dave Moffat in, but Moffy had had his crash at the TT. And Moffy was man on a mission and got um, a number of teams entered into Max Grand Prix. And we won, I think we won three trophies that year as Andrew's racing just because our guys are so good at what they do and it's people like Harry going out and doing world rounds and the boys like Joe Yearsley's just been racing in, in South America and Marcus at the Manx as well it, and it's Andrew's Racing have brought those guys through it, we have a race school um, at Cherby and I think Gary Radcliffe Ray Knight started it Gary Radcliffe runs it now and it's it's down to, 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 to those guys that we have the ability for this small island to have people out there on, on a, a national stage and riding as they do 
Remind us what the Andrews Racing Association is all about, who it's for. It's for the boys out there who want to spend a Sunday doing what they love. So I think it was maybe 2019, end of 2019, I met Neil Champion for a coffee at the Sea Terminal. And he goes, listen, there's Andrews, I've taken on the role as chairman. I need someone to help me out a little bit. Do you fancy just coming and doing something, anything? Just want to get involved? And I'd been chatting to Paul Cassidy and he said, oh gosh, Andrew, it's not like it used to be. Joby's going down the pan. We need some people to get involved. And I thought, I've got a bit of time on my hands now. I'll, I'll see how it goes. 2023, I'm chairman of the club. We've had an amazing few years racing. I'm so proud of what we've achieved. It was Neil and I that have kind of come through the the pain of it. Um, We had a lot going on in the beginning. We really had to tread water to try and get the club back on its feet. But when Joe Yearsley and Marcus Simpson stand on the podium with with novice jackets on, both of them in the Tommy Club, and that's when Neil and I kind of sit there and go, that's why we did it. This is an association not fueling its volunteers with money, but certainly with passion. Oh, passion. And I think that's really, if we had to have a strapline for Andrews, it is like fueled by passion. We, we got through COVID. We were racing um, when the island was in lockdown. And it's if we hadn't of race then, um, people like Joe and Marcus wouldn't have done their race school and been in the Manx Grand Prix last year. Gary kept the race school going. It's um, It's... We've got Derby Day um, that came back alive as well. So we've not only got the actual ACU racing at the track, um, we brought Derby Day back and that kind of landed with me last year. Like four weeks notice, Neil and I took on Derby Day. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's been great. Do you know, Linda, sometimes I look at my diary and think I'm quite busy. I'm actually starting to feel like I've got palpitations about what your life is like. Oh, I have an office at home. I wouldn't want anybody to see it. You know, like on Friends, Monica's got that cupboard. That's my office. God, it's in in work. I have a real job and I'm so passionate about my real job. And I do have to travel quite a bit for that as well. So I was in Malta a few weeks ago and um, Klaus Klaffenbach happened to be there. Completely by coincidence with his girlfriend for the weekend. So again, I combined real life and, and got to meet up at Casa Marianne again but yeah busy we've got our annual dinner as on the 20th of January so control freak here I've got to organise that as well It was really interesting talking to Neil Champion and you can listen to that podcast on the Journey to a Dream uh, page we were discussing whether or not people on the Isle of Man really realise just what talent there is over here absolutely not Neil came back from his podcast with you and he was mortified that he hadn't mentioned the Crows he gave them a personal apology at the AGM because uh, Callum was there and he's like I don't know how I miss them he goes because they're up there and they're so amazing and they're on like an international stage those boys are doing Worlds next year I just forgot they were ours and I'm like yeah they're definitely ours I get the messages from them an hour before entries close saying can they ride tomorrow the world stage has got our riders on it and, and yeah they're amazing And how does it feel for you as a self-proclaimed control freak (laughs) when you look up at a podium and you see your people there? Probably for me, because I come from a sidecar background. Um, My dad in Ireland, the the championship trophy in Ireland for the sidecar passenger is the Bobby Alton trophy. And I met Mark Gash through that and some of the Irish guys that race. And we've got um, some of them racing with us now from Ireland. Uh, Dave Marshall comes over and races. And But when I see like Ryan and Callum, I think it was when they were in the holding pen and Callum, I'm going to cry now, Callum was hugging Nick and that brought it back to me for me. It was like, my dad's not here to see it, but like when I when I 
see those boys doing that and their their dad being so proud of them it's uh, yeah it brings it back home it's it's yeah for me it's sidecars but obviously the solos are fabulous as well but yeah yeah the crow boys really do it how like your dad are you in style when it comes to things like organizing and whatever how much did you learn from him oh gosh probably work ethic um my, my dad was a mechanic we had a garage in ireland and he was he was always at work and it was when he wasn't working it was bikes and obviously he was president of the mcui and i think that's what i see it's it's what you give back makes you who you are and andrea's racing for me it's i'm really passionate about it and and sometimes i i remember someone saying to me at an agm i wouldn't say who it was i know who it was we were changing something and we put it to the floor to discuss it and someone said to me you don't know what it's like to have to pay for tires and and put a bike on the track and at that point i was like right let me tell you what i've not paid for in life so that we could go racing it takes a lot and val our race secretary uh, said the other week she said do you know what her son sean races and she said I thought you lot just kind of maybe the week before the event put a few forms in and then we were racing on the Sunday. She's going, I never had any clue. It was like this. We asked the riders to help us at Jerby as well. If they're not racing, we'll get them out doing recovery. So Marcus Simpson and Joey and McGee, they do recovery for us in, in the van and everything. But we had some of the unrestricted aisle boys helping us out, Blake and Tom. And I have two radios when I'm at Jerby. So I have two earpieces in, one's for the track and one's for the paddock. So they'll both be going and then I'll have someone in front of me chatting as well. And they brought the radios back at the end of the day and they put them back in the race office and they were like, we can't explain what we've just heard today. Every rider should be made to have a day of listening to those earpieces to see what goes on. Blake was like, um, I'll never complain about waiting in the holding pen again. He goes, when I see what has to happen between the sessions with the clerk of the course doing the clear down and all the, the marshals calling in and yeah, a lot goes on. It's full time. There's no end of season for us literally no end of season. It's interesting because as we're speaking in the second third weekish of December it is a, a long hard winter I think for races because they're in the middle of nothing at the moment but as you say for you I guess it just literally never stops. Yeah so it, we just had the AGM and that was about 60 people there and Neil and I we felt that was a good response so you don't want too many people there because that's usually when something's not going right people want to know the gossip of what's happening. Um, great input we have a fabulous bunch of lads racing now with us on CB 500s and they're um, they're bringing through a lot of younger riders as well and people that want to get into racing but don't have huge budgets they were bringing some ideas with regard to the new um, newer bikes coming through and how we wanted to manage that and then Neil and I are looking at all of that now with the race secretaries and the riders reps to see shall we change our regs to match British Superbikes and No Limits um, to allow the CBs to carry on as they are and the Triumphs Marcus Simpson and Ryan Kringle have got Triumphs now um, they'll be BSB spec technically they wouldn't be able to ride in the 600 class with us so we'll change our regs because these boys we want them racing with us so we'll we will facilitate them coming to Jerby uh, the dinner Andrew's dinner on the 20th of January if anybody wants some tickets for that give me a shout and that's our prize presentation we've got Tim Johnson MHK coming to present our awards hopefully Jason Griffiths as well 150 people people at the palace so busy organizing that you're talking about some of the decisions that you're making looking ahead to the future how does it feel having responsibility for the future of racing essentially over here I don't mind responsibility I'll, I'll take it on the chin if I get something wrong I'll happily push my ideas out there I'll say sorry again if it's not right but we have to do it Andrews Racing Association has been around as long as me started at Andrews Airfield now at Jerby we are why people on the Isle of Man have the, the Joe Yearsley and, and the Marcus Simpsons and the Crows. If there wasn't Andrea's Racing and that's the past of Andrea's Racing, the whole 50 years of it being in existence, we wouldn't be where we are now. 
Have you been on a bike recently? Uh, what was my last bike I was on? Um, yeah, my daughter's just got a 125 KTM. She's doing motocross again. So I've just had to buy a van again. She's just come back from uni. So yeah, we're back into owning bikes again. Look at that. Motocross mum is happy. Motocross, I'm very happy. <laughs> Linda, just remind people how they can find out more about the Andrews Racing Association. So Andrews Racing, have a look at our website, um, andrewsracing.im. We've also got a Facebook page. Lots going on on there. You will hear about Sunmanx Radio as well. Chris Kinley's on our committee. Kinners is far but promoting what we do. If you see anybody on a bike, just mention Andrew's Racing and uh, they'll, they'll hopefully tell you about it. And just finally, what are your big dreams for 2024? 2024, chairman of the club. I'm also a probationary clerk of the course as well for the ACU. So I need to get my signatures on that so I can actually clerk. So I need to go away to the UK and clerk at a couple of events there for that to happen to support Neil. And it'll be a good season of racing. We've got seven, six or seven championship rounds, uh, the endurance at the end of the year. And hopefully we'll have Marcus as a a newcomer at the TT and we'll have the Crow Boys on the podium at Worlds and the TT. Linda, please tell me you haven't got everything already wrapped for Christmas as well as all of that. I bet did you have. A, did a little bit of wrapping oh, last night. I knew it. <laughs> but accidentally sent my daughter's Christmas present because I bought it on Amazon to the UK because she changed the address. So beware, any mums out there, watch when your children change the address on the Amazon account. <laughs> Need to get them back. You have to do one thing wrong. Linda, <laughs> thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, thank you so much for having us here. Linda Alton-Heath. And now you know why I found it so difficult to introduce her, but glad to hear that she's back to being a motocross mum. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. And if you have a story that you'd like to tell, we'd love to hear from you. BethSB at manxradio.com is the best email address. You can find that link on the podcast page. And until next time, goodbye.